0: Welcome, hello, and welcome to, to everyone. Uh, this is Judgment Calls. I'm David Levy. I'm director of the Bulch Judicial Institute at Duke Law School. We are so fortunate uh, today uh, to have Judge Andrew Oldham uh, from the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. He sits; his chambers are in Austin, Texas. He was appointed uh, to the bench in 2018, and he's had a very distinguished. Uh, career. He's done a lot in his, I would say, from my perspective, young, young life. (laughs) Before his appointment, he had a uh, varied career in government and private practice. He was general counsel uh, to the governor of Texas. He served as the deputy solicitor general for the state of Texas. He was an an attorney advisor in the uh, Department of Justice Office of Legal Counsel. He was an appellate lawyer in private practice uh, at one of the top D.C. law firms. He served as a law clerk to Supreme Court Justice uh, Alito. Before that, he was a law clerk to Judge David Santel of the U.S. Court of Appeals uh, for the D.C. Circuit. He has a B.A. from the University of Virginia with highest honors. He has an MPhil first class from Cambridge University, which is a quite a distinction, and he has a JD magna cum laude uh, from Harvard Law School. So you do well in law school, and you graduated in 2005. And then you had uh, two clerkships, and both of the judges that you clerked for have Duke connections, because Mm -hmm. uh, Justice Alito's son, Philip, was a graduate of Duke Law School, and uh, Justice Alito has done quite a bit of teaching at Duke. And uh, Judge David Santel is a North Carolinian. he went to UNC. Can't we can't fault him for that. But he uh, he was on the board of visitors of, of the Duke Law School for a long time. He's hired many of our graduates. Uh, so and and of course he he can sing the entire Johnny Cash repertoire. So um, <laughs> uh, they're yeah. both remarkable people. Uh, and that was that that must have been great.
1: Oh, it was incredible. I I I will never. I mean, those two men and the, the, the impact that they had on my life is, is indescribable with words in the English language. I, I mean, and, and not just because of where I am now, just, yeah, I would have said the same thing five years ago. Um, the way they approach their jobs, the way they approach their families, the way they think about the law, the way they think about Amer- American history, English history, um, they're, they're just deep, rich, profound understandings of, of the rule of law. Uh, I just, I find both of them such inspirations. I often tell my law clerks, at the beginning of our terms together, that um, you know, I hope that one day I will be, you know, a tenth of the man and a tenth of the judge that those two are, um, and that if I can make their clerkship experiences a millionth as valuable as mine was, that I will consider the year a success, um, because they they just forever changed my life, touched my heart, inspired me um, every single day. I was just thrilled, <laughs> thrilled to be in the office with them, um, have a chance to learn from them. They were amazing.
0: Well, they must be so proud of you as well. Um,
1: do you, do you uh,
0: continue to have contact with them from time to time?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I, one of the great things about being on the Fifth Circuit is you know, Justice Alito is now our circuit justice. Um, and so he's, I, I used to refer to him as my boss, but now he's like my boss in multiple ways. It's kind of neat. So yeah, I, I, it's wonderful to be able to talk to him about things related to work and not related to work, right? It's, it's a whole new level of, of relationship. Um, and the same with Judge Sintel. I still, I still call Judge Sintel from time to time. Often it's, it's to say, hey, I, I had this case that involved whatever provision of the, what, or whatever application of the APA. It made me think of our time together. You might see, I, I cited this opinion, look at this, you know, that, that, um, that you may, may recall from our time together. And it's just, it's a wonderful feeling of the kind of, the connection um, of our lives, how closely they have been sort of interwoven I feel like it has only enriched my relationship with both of them that I was already um, completely enamored of them.
0: So you may have other uh, judicial role models, I don't know, but it's one of the questions that I often ask uh, on the Judgment Calls program is whether there is a judge or a group of judges who um, you take as a model and who you you um, you know, you sort of ask, what would they do or how would they handle this situation or um, am I sort of living up to what I... Um, most respect in those in those judges is is it fair to say they play that role and maybe there are
1: others as well easily and i ask myself the that question all the time about how they would approach these things i think it's one of the really neat things about clerking and a bunch of this other um just listening to you in the introduction i was just thinking my lord how how have i been so blessed to be able to have these this many different um opportunities work with these great many people um and but, I often will think you know about the times like when you're when you're on the staff side, whether you're a law clerk or a staffer to an official or whatever, you get to see what a lot of people in the public don't see. You get to see the moments of private wrestling, you get to see the way someone reasons through a problem, you get to see what genuine integrity looks like um, and I just find it to be um, a constant reminder of what the public expects of us. I think you know both of my bosses. Um, you know, my my judicial bosses, and this constant understanding that we are public servants, right? We are supported by the taxpayers. We are charged with an amazing public um, office of public trust, as I know you know, um, from your former life. And we are given this um, incredible opportunity to exercise the judicial power of the United States. And with that comes the amazing responsibility of doing it with humility, of doing it with an understanding of the limits, both of us as human beings and the the institution of of law, um, and I just I, I constantly think about watching them wrestle with these sorts of problems. When I, because you know, some of our cases are straightforward, but a lot of them aren't, <laughs> and it gives yeah. it gives rise to a lot of internal dialogue.
0: Well, I'm
1: chair of the clerkship committee this year at, at the law
0: school, so let me just put in a plug to the students on who are listening. If you, you really should consider the clerking opportunity for all the reasons that uh, Judge Oldham has said. Uh, and I, you started, you said one thing, which I've heard from so many clerks, and I think I felt in the same way because I clerked for two judges as well, mm-hmm. is that when you clerk, just as you come out of law school, it's a, it's a time in life where this may be, um, for many people, their first uh, serious employment, at least in the law. And these judges often have a perspective on, which is a demanding profession, on how to live fully in the law without giving up on every other part of life, um, and, you know, how to build a life in the law. And I, I, think, I think judges, um, they have that kind of relationship with their clerks that goes beyond just uh, the analytic tools and the uh, sort of philosophical
1: approach, uh, but more almost like you're part of their family. Yeah, I refer to my my clerks as 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 my family constantly. i will, in emails and conversation, and I don't mean it as a rhetorical trope. I mean it as as a as a, a genuine heartfelt feeling. You know, for the year that we're together, we have this unbelievable bond, um, where because we, we get to work on things that other people don't get to see, um, and 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 we get to talk about these these very issues that you're just talking about. How do we do this with our families? How do we do this with um, other priorities that we have outside of the office, um, and and you have a chance. You're not billing time by six-minute increments. You know you don't have clients who are clamoring and you know calling you at all hours of the night. And so it, it I think it naturally gives rise to a a period of reflection. Um, and I think you're totally right that doing it right out of law school is a huge advantage because it it provides you some form of foundation um, as you're proceeding forward and. Uh, in your career, and you can always think back to, oh, well, that, I remember that there was a time um, when I when I wasn't taking client phone calls at midnight, um, or whatever it is that you have to do.
0: Let's talk about your, your chamber staff, how you're organized, it's sort of how, uh, let's say, a real case that's going to eventuate in an opinion that you write, um, you know, how, kind of how that moves through uh, the process uh, as you see it.
1: Yeah, so, so I have four clerks and a secretary her judicial assistant, because she's way more than um, than that. She, I don't even know. She's out on vacation this week, and it's a miracle I'm even on Zoom with you because I can't yeah. figure out how to turn on the lights without her. Um, so it's, it's six of us um, here. And when a case comes in, Gina, my JA, will take it. And this, usually um, she'll assign it to a law clerk or the law clerks will divvy it up themselves. Um, and I like to have sort of one law clerk who I refer to as the quarterback, right, who's sort of quarterbacking that case. Um, but I'm a very firm believer in the idea that two brains are better than one and three brains are better than two. Um, and so I love as much kind of interaction, bouncing around of ideas, preferably clashing of ideas. I lo- There's nothing that makes me happier than um, I constantly have my door open because I love listening to my law clerks talk. And I love hearing them say, well, I don't know. I'm not sure we have jurisdiction or whatever it is, you know is they're going to fight about. Um, but when they disagree with each other, um, that's the real crucible of, of I think, um, cogent legal thought. Um, if we all just sort of agree, I've always thought that's kind of dangerous, right? Because then we're not examining the premises, really rolling an idea around. Um, and then I will work, I, but I usually work directly with the quarterback and whoever else is working on it um, to try to come up with a with an opinion. I desperately, I, I tell my law clerks, I want you to have the same experience that I did when I was clerking. I want it to be as rich as possible. Um, I didn't get to work, you know, draft every first draft of every opinion in, in the cases when I was, that I was working on. But I want my law clerks to have that experience because I want them to get a, both to have a chance to, to, to sort of stretch their legs or flex their muscles or whatever, um, but also to then work through with me with the, the art of the writing, right? So much of it is art and we're trying to communicate an idea, um, we're trying to communicate a judgment, um, and that's an incredibly sensitive and, and delicate thing. And there's just nothing in the whole world more invigorating than participating in it so i try to do as not that i don't want to do them all on my own i quite frankly love doing them um but i like to delegate as much of it to them as i possibly can for the sake of of their enrichment their experience um and the iterative process of working together um to make it perfect could we uh
0: delve into the nitty-gritty here just a just for a second um if you're comfortable with that um and probably all circuits are a little bit different but let's let's say that it's uh it's a case that uh where the panel uh, maybe the the panel has decided or the uh the senior judge on the panel has decided mm-hmm. that there will be oral argument um so we're not dealing with cases where uh, let's say the staff staff of the court has prepared an opinion already and you're not it's not going to it doesn't raise any real question uh, but it's it's a case that, uh, that may have some difficult legal questions. And uh, am I right that before oral argument, you don't know if the case will be actually assigned to you? Or is that different in, in the fifth?
1: No, we don't know until we vote. Actually, we don't do even know into the, the sitting, yeah, who's going to be the assignment. So the presiding judge makes the assignments um, and we do it. So we'll have a sitting that lasts a week. Um, even when we're doing it on Zoom, we'll, we'll have a sitting that lasts a week. Um, and then at the end of the sitting, um, the presiding judge will go through and say there's 20 cases and we'll go, you know, all right, I'm going to sign this one to Judge Levy and this one to Judge Oldham and this one to whoever. And so
0: what your law clerks will have done for you to that point, it perhaps, is to have written a, a bench memo and, and to help you get ready for oral argument?
1: Yeah, that's right. I, I asked them to, we we, we brief everything, um, or memo everything, whatever you want to call it. We have, I asked my law clerks to look at every case Um it doesn't matter how, um, you know, there's are certain areas of law that I know better than others, um, but it doesn't matter. I treat them all the same. Um, my theory has always been um, that as soon as you get comfortable and you think you know what you're doing is when you're going to screw it up. And the only mistakes I want to make are the ones that I thought about, right? Like I'm trying really hard not to make an unexamined mistake. Those are the ones that keep me up at night. Um, yeah. If I look at it and I think it's that it's orange instead it's red, like okay, at least I tried, right? We're all frail. We're all human. We're going to screw it up. But I just I, I do not ever want to screw it up for lack of effort, energy, focus, attention. Yeah, I think we call those unforced errors. Yeah, <laughs> you don't I want know, to make want, too many of those. No, I want mine to so, be forced. I want to do it on purpose. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so the law clerk uh, reads the briefs, writes a bench memo, and uh, I'm sure you read everything. And then, uh, what is your sort of uh, approach to oral argument? Mm-hmm.
1: So I, what I'll do is I, I read, I try to read everything a week ahead of time, and then in the the court, a couple of days before argument, I sit down with the law clerk who's the quarterback, and we go through, um, we go through the case, and I say, okay, let's let's fight, let's fix, let's kind of fixate on the flex points, like where do we think the the weak points are in the various arguments, and who gets the long and the short end, um, of of this battle. And then I try to come up with a series of questions, but I, I don't really write them down. Um, I really just kind of get into my brain kind of the broad pictures and the themes. So I, I think that in this case, there's going to be a personal jurisdiction problem. Um, it's not completely obvious to me um, that there was purposeful availment or whatever it is we're going to talk about. Um, and so I will sort of naturally in the argument itself, just look for opportunity to talk about that. I try really hard not to just like inject it into the, you know, throw the grenade into the middle of the room. Um, because I really think it should be, this is my own, when I was an advocate, I kind of it to be a conversation like you and I are having, um, and not just some like, um, you know, nothing more, um, sort of unnatural than that.
0: Well, and, and I think the point, and I can tell you that you're going to agree with what I about to say it, it's not an occasion where the judge has any need to show everybody how smart the judge is, you know, it's really the lawyer's time and, um, and your time to if you've got some things you're uncertain about, um, which often judges goes into oral argument, you kind of think you know where you're going, but uh, you're not, maybe not sure about all the pieces of the argument, and um,
1: it's useful. Well, and as you know, I mean, you had to make these these tough choices too. Someone's going to lose, right? Maybe maybe both sides lose, but someone's going to be more unhappy than the other. It's such a rare case where both people walk away 50-50, like you know Solomon or whatever. I mean, it's really hard, and so I always think about. The fact, since someone's going to lose, we all, we really owe it. We owe it to both sides. We owe it to the law, but we, in particular, owe it to the one who's going to lose. That We that really take it seriously, make sure that we're right about that, um, and, and to, as you say, it's the lawyer's time to try to save the case or to rehabilitate the case or to militate the, the loss, um, and so, I, I mean, I think that's just a sign of respect to the bar and, and, and also to the client. So uh, we do have some questions, and I, I better ask them just before we
0: run out of time. And I can tell that we've got some on the program in the audience who are thinking about, gee, it'd be great to clerk for you. So uh, <laughs> one question is, uh, do you like your law clerks to have had a year of exp- year or two of experience before they come to you, or do you care? How, how, how do you see that?
1: Well, let me say first. Um, although my dad, like Judge Tell, went to the University of North Carolina, and I can sing the Tar Heel fight song. Um, I do love Duke. And my first year um, on the bench, I had a Duke law um, law clerk and and she was amazing. So I would love to have applicants from Duke. It makes me so happy. Beautiful. I also I know people. I know professors there. I know you obviously. Um and so I have people I, I know and I trust there, so i I feel very comfortable hiring. So I'd love to have um, more Dukies. How do I sort of think, do you, do you think how do I sort of think about the clerk hiring process or cler- Well,
0: yeah, I think particularly because some judges now want clerks to have worked in private practice for, you know, a
1: couple of years? No, I, my view, I, I have no preference one way or the other. I have clerks who are straight through. I have clerks who have clerked for other judges before me. I have clerks who are going to clerk for me. And then another judge, I have clerks who came from private practice. Um, I've got all kinds of clerks. (laughs) And um, I think the thing from my perspective, I try to make each clerk class round, right? So I don't want four people straight out. I don't want four people who've had a year out. I try to have sort of a variety of different perspectives because you know people who come straight through they have a handle on um, all kinds of stuff in law school they think about these problems the way you, the way I used to think about them obviously when you're a three L in law school you know you, I mean you know a lot about the law review literature you are probably an articles editor on your law journal so you know like the sort of ideas that are in in circulation that's a great skill um, but it's different than someone who's been at a law firm for a year and, and knows the difference between you know, 12B6 and Rule 56 in practice, right? Yeah, definitely. Well, here's a, here's
0: a question from someone who has figured out that, gee, you'd be a great mentor, and they want <laughs> to know what, what advice do you have for a 1L?
1: Ooh, that's a great question. Um, so I, I hate to say this, I hate because I'm not really a great snob. Um, like I said, I don't have like some sort of weird arbitrary GPA cutoff or whatever. But I would say particularly your 1L year to get the to focus as much as you can on getting the highest marks that you can, um, because it really does matter for all kinds of things. You know, Each one of these incremental steps in your career builds on the one that immediately preceded it. Um, and so I think the best thing you can do as a 1L is to really focus on your classes and to really take it as seriously as you possibly can and keep your marks up as high as you can, um, because it's going to set you up for success from down the road. And I think
0: you'd agree that you know, not everybody comes out of uh, college ready for the, let's just say, the unique experience of the law school exam. And so I think employers, including judges, like to see people who maybe it was a little rough their first semester, but you can tell every semester after that they're getting it. They're, 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 right. they're yeah. You've lived in a lot of different communities. How do you see the, how would you compare that, um, these different communities or, how important is it to be in a community that that um, that you that resonates with you?
1: You mean geographically?
0: Geographically,
1: yeah. Yeah. So I, I I can't imagine anything more important. One of the greatest things I love about Austin is that. <laughs> I mean, it is is—it is a little bit of everything. In some ways, it's like a little bit of every one of the various places that I have lived. It's not quite the Anglophilia of living in, in, in Cambridge, England. That's its own thing. But, you know, we have, um, obviously, the University of Texas is here, so it has that, um, which I'm sure you would sympathize to, it's a little bit like triangle. It's got a ton of the sort of the intellectual vigor of a, of a higher education it's got an art community obviously this is the music capital we call it the music capital of the world nashville disagrees with us but you know there's a ton of the sort of artist community there's tech and all kinds of the sort of vibrancy that comes from that um and it just makes it so it reminds me a lot of living in northern virginia right we have professionals um we have all kinds it's just a, an incredible melting pot um and it's always resonated with me because it, obviously it's a little bit weird um by, by design and proudly but um I just think it, it's life-affirming to be in a place that, that really sort of supports you in that way and, and makes you feel like you, there's a little bit of all the things you find important. We could talk for hours, and I hope sometime
0: we'll have that opportunity in person. We can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for My great being with us uh, here today. This has been Judgment Calls, a program of the Bulch Judicial Institute. Goodbye, everyone, and thank you, Judge Alden. Thank you so much.
1: Judgment Calls is produced by the Bolch Judicial Institute at Duke University. Find us online at judicialstudies.duke.edu.